0: giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. Surprise Billing is this week's focus, as NAHU submitted comments to the Biden administration last week with our thoughts on the latest surprise billing interim final rule. This much-anticipated IFR, considered part two of the administration's surprise billing ban regulations, was published back in October, in addition to discussing some of NAHU's comments on this IFR, you will also be discussing some recent legal challenges to the regulation and the impact they may have moving forward. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, Marcy is here once again to discuss this and more. So, to start, Marcy, can you give folks a bit of a refresher on this most recent interim final rule on surprise billing? What areas did it regulate?
1: Yes. So this part two focused more on the arbitration process or what they're calling the Independent Dispute Resolution Process or IDR. So that's what we'll be calling it moving forward. How exactly these balance bills will be resolved as well as setting up the IDREs, which are the Independent Dispute Resolution Entities that will serve as the arbitrator or arbiters to go through these challenges to the surprise bills. And so just as a reminder, with the way that the bill was structured, so the way that the No Surprises Act was structured within the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. It allowed for a a baseball-style arbitration, which means the two parties, the consumer, plan sponsor, and the provider, if they go into the independent dispute resolution process, meaning that the consumer has received a balance or surprise bill, and feels as if it is an exorbitant amount that is too high, Then they can go into the IDR process, um, at which point both parties will provide a number to the IDRE that they think is fair, and then the IDRE will pick one number or the other. There's no negotiation between the numbers. This is why it's called baseball arbitration. This was a style that was used for actually negotiating contracts for major league baseball players in The very early 1900s. So that's where it gets this name. If you're also wondering why it's called baseball style arbitration when it has nothing to do with the game of baseball, that's why. It's just a reference to this contract negotiation style. That's what we got from the law. And then this piece, through the regulations, through the rulemaking, gave us a little bit more color to how that process would work. And One of the areas that was included in this rule was a requirement that when the IDRE is making that decision between the two numbers, which one to choose, they are required under these rules to pick the number that is closest to the qualified payment amount, the QPA. And that number, the QPA, the way that that is determined is based on basically the median in-network rate So it's based on an average of that type of service by that type of provider in that geographic area. So that's what the QPA amount is. And the IDRE under these rules is now asked to pick the number that's given to them that is closest to that QPA, closest to that median and network rate for that to be the resolution number for this negotiation. So that is how they get to the final number for the resolution of this balance bill. Unless there are some outlying factors, the IDRE is able to make an exception to this, but there have to be just extraordinary circumstances for them that must be noted for the IDRE to not go with the number that is closest to the QPA.
0: When this first came out, NAHU celebrated this as a victory. So why are we considering this a victory?
1: We consider this a victory because as we were going through the process and lobbying on the No Surprises Act when it was making its way through Congress, we were very strongly suggesting that the negotiation process consider the median in-network rate for a resolution number for any challenges to a surprise or balance bill. The reason for this is that using that median in-network rate will drive down costs. It incentivizes out-of-network providers to either go in-network or charge very similar to in-network prices so that their charges aren't so outrageous that they're leading to these challenges and disputes. And it also leads to a lower number being the negotiated result of these disputes, which then... Obviously, that means it's a lower number that's being paid by the consumer. So it's a it's a win for that one consumer in that dispute process. But when you add up all of the individual wins across the board of consumers who have driven down their prices of these surprise bills, that then leads to a lowering of premiums across the board, which spreads across the different markets. So having this requirement that the IDREs have to use the qpa the number closest to the qpa which as i explained a couple of minutes ago stay with me here as i explained a couple of minutes ago the qpa is very close to the median and network rate which is what we wanted put into the law now we have that in the rules instead so we used our advocacy in the rulemaking to strengthen our position and so we believe this will drive down costs not only for that individual consumer that is disputing a balance bill, but also for all consumers in the health insurance market by, in the end, driving down the costs of premiums.
0: So as we mentioned, we submitted a comment letter to federal agencies last week with our comments on this latest IFR. I imagine we thank the agencies for the way they utilize the QPA, is that correct?
1: Yes. So as much as I've gone on and on about the IDR process and the utilization of the QPA, we did in our comments recognize that the administration took this interpretation of the way that the No Surprises Act was put together by Congress. And we thanked them for doing so, and we thanked them for the way that they structured not just this part, which is part two of the No Surprises Act regulations, but also part one, which is where they defined the QPA, because we really have to put these two parts together to be able to calculate Literally and figuratively, this win for NEHU that the process all put together really gets us to the lowering the cost for consumers. So we wanted to make sure that in our comments, we recognized that to the agencies and applauded them for taking action in the way that they did.
0: While we were very happy about this, I'm sure we still harbored some concerns about the implementation of this law. What did we suggest the administration do regarding the independent dispute resolution process?
1: Well, one piece that is kind of simple is just encouraging them to act with all deliberate speed to set up the IDRE, so the Independent Dispute Resolution Entities. Um, When part two of the surprise billing rules was released, they did set up um, an information section on their website, but they still needed to do a portal for interested parties that wanted to become IDREs to be able to register. Uh, those parties will then have to be go through some education and training on how how to operate as an IDRE and handle the negotiations of the IDR process. So we did ask them to kind of put their foot on the gas a little bit with that, because this does go into effect January 1. And because of the timeline of how everything lines up from the date that a consumer receives a surprise bill, how long they have to wait before filing to go through the IDR process and all of that, We do need IDREs in place at the end of January, early February for some of these first disputes to begin being heard. So we wanna make sure that there are IDREs in the system that are, are ready to perform their duties. On top of that, while we're talking about IDREs, we also commented on the selection process for an IDRE. During the dispute process, there is a time period where the parties, if they have a preferred IDRE, they're able to select them. But if the two parties can't agree on an IDRE, then it goes into another time period um, that they have to wait while IDRE is selected for them at random. And so our comments were that maybe you should just do the randomized assignment of IDREs instead of going through a self-selection process, since it's probably going to be pretty rare that both parties would agree on an IDRE because of possible past decisions by certain IDREs that could color the comfort level of one of the parties to engage with them. So we suggested that as a way to speed up the IDR process that if they just skip straight to a randomized selection of the IDRE, it could be faster for the parties to be able to resolve everything instead of having to go through the disagreement before getting randomly assigned. And then there are provisions that limit future arbitration. It prohibits the same parties from entering into the IDR process again regarding the same items or services for 90 days following the conclusion of a prior IDR case. And so we have suggested that they do some sort of tracking to look at the frequency of which providers and facilities engage in the IDR process for the same items and services from the same payers multiple times each year, just to see if there's a way to As you can imagine, if you're seeing the same entities come in for the same items and services, there has to be a better way of administratively dealing with resolving these issues instead of repeatedly having them come into the IDR process every 90 days We're kind of wash, rinse, repeat with this cycle. So we did suggest that they look into tracking whether this, this even occurs. And then if there is a better way of trying to resolve some of these issues to make sure that we're not clogging the system with some of these repetitive claims and allowing the system to be open for some of the more egregious disputes that need to be resolved.
0: What did NAHU have to say regarding how this regulation interacts with state law?
1: So this section of the rule was a little skimpy compared to what we would like. They did recognize that many states have put on the books some sort of balance billing or surprise billing law. They also recognized that there could be some overlaps and then questions as to which law would prevail. And then even looking at the provider payment amount and when they're calculating the QPAs, if a state has payment amount calculation laws, where those fall in? So we did point out that there needs to be clarification by the departments since the agencies have noted that they're working with the state regulators on this, but we don't have any clear guidance in writing on how all of these pieces will be working together. So we did want to make sure that we were... Reminding them, again, in writing that there do need to be these clear delineations between the state and federal rules. And then even some guidance as to how some specific state rules are going to be used, like some of these states that have payment calculation amount restrictions.
0: Another major change in this IFR are changes to external review requirements. So what did you have to say in this area?
1: So under the No Surprises Act, it amends the ACA's external review regulations to add new types of situations that could lead to external review. These situations include a dispute between a plan and a claimant over the services constituting emergency services under the No Surprises Act definition, because remember, and we covered this in a previous podcast, there was a change in the definition of emergency services that alters what that means in plans moving forward. Another new situation that could lead to external review is when a claimant believes a plan did not apply the No Surprises Act appropriately relative to out-of-network services provided at an in-network facility. dispute as to whether the participant consented to treatment from an out-of-network provider, and if there is a question as to whether a service that may be subject to protection under the No Surprises Act was coded correctly. So those are all new types of situations that could lead to an external review. And we just wanted to make sure that because these are now the only situations in which an ACA grandfathered plan may be subject to federal external review requirements, that the agencies do some type of education and outreach to these grandfathered plans so that they are aware of these new compliance obligations, especially because in some cases, it will require modifications to plan documents, especially when we think of that new definition of emergency services.
0: Now, that all being said, several provider groups have filed suit against the government disputing these provisions of the No Surprises Act. So why are they suing over this?
1: Some provider and hospital groups are suing over this. Some feel as though the way that the regulations were put together are not in the spirit of the law. Earlier, I talked about the fact that the agencies were interpreting the No Surprises Act and how they put together the IDR process. So with that, they used that baseball style arbitration, which was in the statute, and then included that extra requirement that the IDRE go with whichever number is closest to the QPA. That part, many of these other groups feel like is not in the spirit of the law that this now as i mentioned earlier makes it so the median in network rate becomes very important and almost dictates what the resolution will be where the provider groups feel like a pure baseball style arbitration was in the spirit of the law and i know it won't come as a surprise to say that with states that have done that style of arbitration, most of the results have been in favor of the providers yielding a higher reimbursement to the provider, which in turn, it's not just a higher payment for that one consumer, similar to what we talked about earlier, this impacts everyone in the form of higher premiums. So that's, that's one reason they're suing over this is that they feel that The end result with the rulemaking did not take into account the spirit of the No Surprises Act in the way that Congress passed it. And and there have been letters that came out from members of Congress. There was one group of members that agreed with them and said, yeah, these providers and hospital systems are right. This isn't what we intended. But there have been others that have come out that said no, this, the way the rules were written, that's exactly what we intended. The agencies worked um, very well within the parameters of the law. So there's disagreement even with the members of Congress on what was intended by this language. And so so that's one reason why we're seeing these lawsuits. Others are because they feel as though it is a restriction in their ability to negotiate, which is anti-competition, anti-trade. So there are, are challenges there. We are watching these very closely so far. None of them have led to any court decisions that have changed or delayed the implementation of this section of the No Surprises Act. So we are moving forward with this being implemented on January 1st, but we will update you if there are any changes to that.
0: So what is NAHU doing to make sure that our voice is heard just like the provider groups are doing?
1: So aside from sending in our comments, which is what we just discussed today, our formal comments to the agencies on the interim final rule, we are also sending out today And Operation Shout asking you all to contact your members of Congress to let them know just how pleased we are with this law, the fact that we believe that this protects more consumers because of the way that it was written, and then also send a message to the administration really saying the same thing and thanking them for the way that they structured these rules in order to truly protect consumers and drive down the cost of care. So check your email for this very important Operation Shout. We know that members of Congress and the agencies are hearing from providers and hospital groups that are very unhappy with this law. So we want to make sure that they also hear from us and hear about the benefits that this law will bring to millions of Americans.
0: It is now time for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So what are we toasting to this week?
1: This week, we are toasting to the new year and new beginnings. This is the last podcast for 2021, unless we have some breaking news. Last year, we did do a special episode after the CAA was passed. So while we're not expecting reconciliation to pass before the new year, if we do have some big action, we'll be sure to come back and update you But we do want to toast to the new year. And like I said, new beginnings. Just a reminder, NEHU has moved to a new office. We are now located at 999 E Street Northwest in Washington, DC. While we celebrate being in our new space, we want to celebrate the new year with you. Here's to a happy and healthy 2022. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts, or to become a member, visit nahu.org.